Well, let's hope I have a bit more luck finding the right passage rather than the right chorus. <laughs> oh, there you go. Whoops, I'll put it down to the cold. There you go. Esther, chapter 5. And um, we're going to look at this chapter together. Just a quick reminder as to what's been happening here in this great book of Esther. It is really a, a good book. You know, the Bible is God's word, and every word in it is for us. So we need to take these things, we need to think about them. Yes, look at what is happening, see how people react, see how God works, and then go away and think, well, how would I react in that situation? What could I do? What can I take from this? What can I go and apply uh, to my daily life as to what we're looking at here? Remember, in the royal city of Susa, um, there lived a Jew named Mordecai and his cousin Esther, who is now queen. And there's a man named Haman who has issued a law that on a particular preset day, the citizens of the whole kingdom of Persia, which was then the, the, the then known world, were to carry out a campaign of genocide against the Jewish people. The law, now this is important, and you can check all this out with history, history of the Persian Empire, and you can read about how their culture was, what their society was like. You know, we're all different as nations, aren't we? We, we apply different laws uh, and we have different rules. And the Persians were really good. They were good at documentation. They were good at managing things. And they were good at writing laws and applying laws. And once the law was written, the Persian law could not be changed. Now, King Xerxes, he didn't actually know that his wife Esther was a Jewess. But under the law, both Esther and Mordecai and the rest of the Jewish people in Persia were about to be annihilated. To put it mildly, this is what you might call a critical situation. A situation that, as far as they could see, could not be changed. You know, we get situations in our lives when crises arrive and we have to deal with them. What about the first response is? I think our first response to a crisis, you know, even if it's a can't find me car keys, you know, that's a crisis, isn't it? You know, we have these things happening all day and I think the first reaction is probably the feeling of not knowing what to do. Oh. Where's my keys? What do we do? And then, when you do this, depending on how bad the situation is, sometimes you begin to see that there's no light at the end of what appears to be a dark tunnel. Nowhere to turn to avoid the outcome. And sometimes you don't see any hope in sight. But what did Esther do? When Esther was faced with this, what was a real serious crisis? Well, we know that she prayed. What was her response to prayer? You know, we, we pray, don't we? I hope we do. And it, it is, I find it difficult. I think it is difficult. 
but when Esther prayed, and when she prayed and brought this situation, this really critical situation before God, what she did next was she waited. Waited. You know, we see this in different passages in the Bible. Prayer. Wait. And the psalmist, Psalm 27, he says this in verse 14 of that chapter. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Now what I want you to notice there is what we have. We have a, a little sandwich. Yeah. You see that little sandwich there? Wait for the Lord. Then there's the meat in the sandwich. Be strong and take heart. And there's the other side of the sandwich, which you already know what it is. It is wait for the Lord. The important recommendation from the psalmist is this. Be strong and take heart. While waiting, Esther was strong. And she prepared to take heart. And she prepared for what was to come. You know, waiting. When was the last time you waited? Probably in the supermarket queue. Yeah, you're standing there, aren't you? And, and you're thinking, and the first thing you think is, I picked the wrong queue. That one there, I should have gone in. It's moving faster, but it's too late now. And then you start to look around at other people. Then you're looking at what people have bought. And then you're looking at those, those you know, panic buys that they have there. You used to have it for the kids, didn't you? The sweets or you got a child, you go, well, can you have one of them? <laughs> you have adults now, and you go, well, we're going to need one of them. But what are you doing? You're waiting. But you're not just waiting. You have an appointment with the doctor, you know you're going to see the doctor, you know he's there, he's waiting for you. You're sitting in the waiting room, he's there for hours. Mm -hmm. But what are you doing while you're waiting? Well, you people watch. I do that. I love people watching. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> Stella's just nipped through there. I don't like people watching when Stella's people watching. You know why? She goes, look at him over there. <laughs> look at her. <gasps> you know, and I'm like, shut up, shut up. <laughs> well, you people watch. And what you can do now, you know, you can have your, your, your Kindle, you can have your phone, mobile phone. Look at, you might have the Bible. I've got the Bible on my phone. I can just sit there and read my Bible on my phone. You're doing things. You know the doctor's there, you know you're going to see him, you know it's going to happen, but you've got to wait. And what do you do? You're taking part. You're doing other things. You're not just sitting there doing nothing. Maybe you do. You know, if you sit there and do nothing, what happens? You worry. You go, oh, 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 I'll have to do something. Oh, I'll look over there. I'll look, oh, you know, you do. Waiting is not just doing nothing. Esther waited in patience, she needed that. But you'll notice she also had dignity. And you'll notice that she didn't rush in and point the finger. She didn't. She had patience. She waited. And she prepared. And she prepared a feast for the king. Now you might think, well, Where's this going? She's got this big crisis and she's prepared a feast for the king. Well, we'll find out eventually. But before she approached the king, 
she said to Mordecai. And this is important. And we did look at it last week. She said to Mordecai, okay, I'm going to see the king. I'm going to do it. I'm preparing myself. But listen, Mordecai. If I perish, and you know what? I'm prepared to perish. If I perish, I'll perish. And this speaks of her commitment to God. Even if the answer to her prayer was that she would die. That is commitment. That is trust. We mentioned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the book of Daniel where they were about to be thrown into a fire and they turned around to the king who was ordering them to go into the fire. He said, look, we've got a God. And we've got a God who has the ability to save us. But if he doesn't, you know what? We're just going to walk into the fire. And they were rescued. Stephen, the first martyr, he trusted God. And he spoke the gospel. And as he spoke the gospel, the people around him were starting to get angry. They were starting to come against him. The authorities came. The religious police in their day. And you know, they started to condemn him. And they also then picked up stones to throw the stone. And he carried on. What he was saying is, look, I have a God. He has the power to protect me. But if he doesn't, then carry on. Because I trust in him. And if I do have to die, it's his will. And he died. <laughs> and we can talk about it. Here this morning, why? Because he died. We can look at the letters that Paul wrote. Why? Because Stephen died. See, it was in God's hands. And Esther's saying, look, what I'm doing, I, 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 I'm not sure what I'm doing. I'm not sure if it's right. I'm doing what I think is right. I'm doing what God is, is, is sending me to do. And I'm going to trust in him. So this is speaking when she said, if I die, it's God's will. So this is important. And this is after she'd humbled herself before God. She'd prayed. She'd fasted. She'd reached out to other people to do the same. To pray. To fast. To bring it before God. Then. We know she prepared a feast. We know that she's going to see the king. And what she did is she put on her royal robes. She's the queen. She made herself presentable. And just as she had come humbly before God. She came humbly before King Xerxes. And she brought her request. A verse from Luke, Luke chapter 12, verse 35. It's on the subject of watchfulness. Okay. And this is what we read. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Do you get that? This is what Esther is doing. She's dressed. She's ready for service and she's keeping her lamp burning. The light hasn't gone out yet. There's still a light at the end of the tunnel and she's keeping it lit. And she's trusting in God. 
So Esther is making preparation to go and stand before King Xerxes. Here's a question for us this morning and something for us to think about from this passage. Am I ready? Am I ready to stand before the one who is the King of Kings? Standing before the King of Kings, if I go dressed in nothing other than the, the finery of my human nature, what's the finery of my human nature? It's putting on my best clothes. It's doing the best I can do. It's being as good as I can be. It is doing all these things and then going before God with these things and saying, will you accept me? And you know what? God will say no. Because our nature is a sinful nature. And God hates sin. He loves us. But he hates sin. Standing before the king of kings, dressed like that, won't impress God. When I, I was doing this, I, I very often think about hymns. You know, it's great. We don't just sing the hymns here. That's good when we do that. That is worshipping God. That is meeting together. But also, very often, hymns come into your mind. And when that happens, have a listen to it. You know, and if you really feel like it's singing. When I worked at Trevor Banks, we were the studio, partly downstairs, partly upstairs. When they knew I was coming upstairs, they always knew it was me. Because I was singing, or more than likely humming, all out of tune. But you know what I mean, you know. So, they're important. Hymns are important. And I thought of... That hymn by um, Augustus Toplady. I'll tell you where he, he wrote the hymn. He wrote it in Cheddar Gorge. It was a stormy day and he was getting soaked. And what he did, there was a sort of cleft in the rock. And he stood in the cleft of the rock to shelter from the storm. And he wrote the hymn. And we've been, you can go to Cheddar Gorge, there's a little plaque, you can go and stand in the rock. <laughs> Hopefully it's not stormy. Well, this is real, and this is what he did. Here's the second verse. Not the labor of my hands could fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal nor respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All could never sin erase. Thou must save, and save by grace. He knew that, humanly speaking, to stand before God like that, would condemn him. Standing before the King of Kings, dressed in garments of salvation, I would be granted eternal life. Here's Top Lady's third verse. It's in the hymn books as well. You can go look at the other verses. He says this, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling, naked, Come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. Two verses. Two important verses. Two, verse, two verses telling us how we have to approach God to have his grace and forgiveness. If we can come before God 
by way of the cross. We can say like Isaiah. Isaiah, this is in chapter 16, it's verse 10. And this is what Isaiah said. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. So if you have taken Jesus as your saviour, you can stand by Isaiah and say those words. But Isaiah goes on. It's good to read that. But I want us just to share a verse from Hebrews 4, verse 16 on the same theme. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Esther's in a time of need. She's going to go before an earthly king because she has to make a request to him. She's not sure how it will go. Look at verse 1 through to 5. And I've titled this little section, A Step of Faith. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. And when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her. And he held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So, Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, I will give to you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, Let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Oh, this sounds strange, doesn't it? Let's read on. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asked. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. I said this is a step of faith. Now what I want you to understand is just how big a step of faith this was. This is, we, we sometimes look at Esther and we come to these verses that we've just read and we think, oh, it's nice, isn't it? This is nice, you know, she's gone to the king and the king's pleased to see her. No, no, no. You've got to understand the history. You've got to understand. That's why you can look at, you know, world history. Go and look what it meant to do this. You couldn't just go to see the king. You had to be summoned. If you weren't summoned, you couldn't go. And if you did go unsummoned, it was either a life sentence or maybe not. This is really important. This is what Esther is doing. It's a dangerous step. King Xerxes. Now, we think of this. He's sitting on his throne doing nothing. You know. No, no. This was his official position of being the ruler. Politically speaking, he was in session. He was in the hall. He was sitting on the seat. And he was dealing with deep things. Things of government. And he looks, he's facing the door. You know, like in the old cowboy pictures. 
where the goody sits with his back to the wall and faces the door and he's ready for who? And there's Esther standing there. She's not been summoned. What's she doing here? Everybody in that hall would look at her and think the same thing. What's she doing here? Does she know what she's doing? She's not supposed to be here. The king sees her and beckons her. Imagine this is the room. It's probably a bigger room than this. Esther's in the door. The king's here. Between Esther and the king, there would have been two lines of armed guards. And history tells us that these armed guards carried axes. Behind the throne will be the official executioner with his axe. And Esther would have to walk into that room. The fact that the king called you could mean that you were going to be killed. Do you get the depth of this? The king beckons Esther. Esther walks between these armed guards who would stand ready and look towards the king. Remember this king had already had one assassination attempt. And then the king would hold out his golden scepter and the person who was there, in this case it's Esther, would touch the scepter and that would mean the king is ready to listen to you. Put yourself in Esther's place. This is one step at a time. The king is beckoning me. He's now asked me to come in and I walk through these armed guards and at any minute I could be executed. Now he's held out his golden scepter. You ever been in that position where it's the last biscuit on the plate and somebody lifts up the plate and calls you over with a big smile on their face and they offer it to you. And as you go to take it, the smile gets bigger and the person goes, <laughs> and draws it away. The pleasure on the king's face didn't necessarily mean he was, we know because we read it. Esther could have thought, is he enjoying the fact that he's going to have me executed? One step at a time. Trusting in God, dressed, showing who she is, and preparing to touch the end of that scepter and give him the freedom to talk. This is not a Cinderella fairy story. This is real life. Put yourself in her shoes. When she finally reached the king and touched the golden scepter, she is allowed to speak. The king was pleased. So he said to her, tell me your request. He offers even half his kingdom. You know, this, this phrase, I will give you up to half my kingdom. You'll find it again throughout the Bible. 
it, it doesn't literally mean he's going to give half his kingdom. It's like the phrase that we use. What do you want? The sky's the limit. Yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't get half the kingdom. But what he's saying is, tell me what you want and the sky's the limit. Okay, do you get that? We get carried away with these phrases, don't we? I start thinking, oh, he's got half the kingdom. Look, the sky's the limit. We understand that. But it might seem strange, rather than making a request, she offers the king an invitation, and in the invitation, she mentions Haman, and the invitation is that, that night, that afternoon, to come to a banquet that she has prepared for them. Let's just read on. And this next section, uh, 6 through to 8, I've titled it, Patience. Well, be patient with me. And we're going to read this together. As they were drinking wine, so we're at the party now, we're at this banquet. The king again asked Esther, Now, what is your position? You know, it will be given to you. and Whatever you require, even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. And Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. Surprise coming up here. If the king regards me with favour, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfil my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to a banquet, banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Your first thought might be, why the delay? Why, why, why? Why is Esther doing this? She's got the opportunity to ask the question. She hasn't asked it yet. But she's trusting in God. And she's going one step at a time. She's not rushing in and pointing a finger at Haman and giving him a false story. And She's relying on God. And she knows that God, if it's his will, will resolve the problem in his time and according to his will. Do you get these things that are coming out in this passage? God's name's not mentioned in this book, I've said that before, but you can see God at work. God is working in the heart of Esther. Her heart is being prepared. She's trusting in what God is doing. He's also working in the heart of King Xerxes, and he's also working in the heart of Amen. You see, God is at work. But you can't see it. Esther couldn't see it. Esther didn't know what it would be. Esther continued to trust. And our passage, verse 9 through to 13, changes slightly. And I've titled this, No Satisfaction. No Satisfaction. I won't quote the pop song. You know which one it is. But this guy, Haman, he can't get no satisfaction. Haman went out that day, happy and high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate, he observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence. And he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself. And he went home called together his friends and 
Zelophehad's wife. And Haman boasted to them about the vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honoured him, and how he'd been elevated above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all. Haman added, I'm the only person the Queen Esther invited to accompany invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave, and she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. You see, Haman's plans are going better than expected. His, his life is, oh, he's enjoying this. The day has been set for the Jews to be dealt with. They're going to be annihilated along with Mordecai. So he's going to get his comeuppance anyway. He spent a, a, a great day at a private banquet with the king and the queen. He's given an invitation to attend another royal banquet the following day. And he couldn't wait to get home and, and tell his wife so he, he, he contained his anger. All his family and friends are together and he's then boasting about how great he is and telling them all about himself. But when he passed through the king's gate, the sight of Mordecai, Mordecai is probably still in sackcloth. He's sitting at the king's gate. He's not afraid. He's gone to his place of work. And he's... Haman sees this and the anger just rises up in him. You know, verse 14. Pride comes before a fall. His wife Zerath and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits that's around about 75 feet, which is roughly the height of a two-story house. Now there's an idea of how high this was. I asked the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. See, he's so powerful, he can ask the king for this, knowing that his wish will be granted. This suggestion delighted Haman and he had the pole set up there and then no messing about and he probably slept well that night probably positioning his bed so he could look out of his window and see the pole I think tomorrow tomorrow Mordecai will be on there and I'll be at a banquet with the king and the queen And here's the thing. What will tomorrow bring? <laughs> we don't know that, do we? What will tomorrow bring? Esther didn't know. The king didn't know. He was waiting for what Esther was going to request. Mordecai I didn't know. Esther didn't know. The king didn't know. We're going to find out next week. Now, you can read ahead if you want to. And you probably know it anyway. 
But what I want you to do is to get round this, to forget the fact that this is a lovely little fairy story where everything turns out well. No, for that to happen, these people went through unbelievable stress, pain, heartache, but also faith in God. And they trusted to the point, if it all went the way they didn't want it to go, it would still be God's will. And that's how we need to approach life. There will times in your life come when you pray, when you ask other people to pray, and what you want doesn't happen. Don't blame God. God is at work. I don't know the end. I don't know what will happen tomorrow for me. You don't know what will happen tomorrow for you. So with that in mind, I'm going to finish now with just a couple of verses, and then I'm going to hand back to Matthew. The first few verses are in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 and 21. This is speaking about who we are as Christians. This is speaking about the responsibility we have to ourselves and to each other. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's why we have a church service. That's why we have a Bible study. To proclaim God's word. That's why we read the Bible. Why we preach from the Bible. Because that is God's word. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. And Paul continues in that same letter to the Corinthians. He goes into chapter 6. I'm going to finish with this, which is verse 2 of chapter 6 in 2 Corinthians. For he says... In the time of my favour, I heard you. Remember Esther? In the time of my favour, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's salvation. Now is the day of salvation. Why? Because that's God's will for you and I. Why today? Because I don't know tomorrow. And you don't know tomorrow. I'm going to hand back to Matthew as we consider these things and see the importance of this little book of Esther. It's not a fairy story. It's a true life story. Amen to that. Father, so often uh, in our lives we can't see what is happening and so often we see things which seem to be so far from the way things should be. And yet, Lord, we know that you have your hands on us and, Lord, we pray that you would use every situation and circumstance somehow for your glory. And, Lord, we pray that our confidence would not be in ourselves, it would not be in our circumstances, but it would be in our Saviour. And we thank you for what you have done for us. In your name, Lord. Amen.